Um, So we're going to read the scriptures uh, in Isaiah 42 uh, and verse 1 to verse 9. Isaiah 42 verse 1. Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my elect one in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. He will not cry out, nor raise his voice, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoking flax he will not quench. He will bring forth justice for truth. He will not fail nor be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth, and the coastland shall wait for his law. Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread forth the earth and that which comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles, to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the prison, those who sit in darkness from the prison house. I am the Lord, that is my name. And my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved images. Behold, the former things have come to pass. New things I declare before they spring forth. I tell you of them. And and I want to look at these verses 2 to 4 tonight and then go on to verse 5. It's really how, looking at the servant here, the servant of the Lord, we've seen uh, him being commissioned. And now we have his method here in verses 2 to four. And it starts with a puzzling verse, perhaps, of the Lord Jesus, a prophecy of him, obviously, coming incarnate and his ministry. He will not cry out, nor raise his voice, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. And you might think that sounds a bit odd. Didn't Jesus preach in the open air? Uh, what does this mean? Indeed, they said of him that he's taught in our streets. Well, you have to look at what these words really mean. What it's saying is that he was not, did not come as a political agitator. He didn't come to start a revolution. And it's necessary that God told that, foretold that, because by the time that the Lord Jesus came, the Jews were expecting a Messiah, precisely one who would be a revolutionary. One of his disciples was Simon the Zealot, of a group of people who were seeking to overthrow the Roman rule and they and many others were confident that when the Messiah came that is exactly what he would do and he would take the government of Israel back for the Jews and in the end for the world, uh, the government of the world for the Jews. And if they'd understood this prophecy they wouldn't have expected uh, the Lord Jesus to do that. And we know that even John the Baptist uh, when he was in prison was puzzled by what the Lord Jesus was, or perhaps we should say, wasn't doing. And we have in Luke 9, uh, we read of John uh, saying from from prison, um, it's not Luke 9, is it? But anyway, Luke 9 verse 17, uh, I've got down here, which is obviously not correct, but he says, um, are you he that would come, or should we look for another? And Jesus says, well, go back and say, uh, the blind see. The lame are healed. The gospel is preached uh, to the poor. Uh, Blessed is the one who does not stumble on account of me. And this is, the Lord Jesus came as one who wasn't being expected. 
He didn't come to, to start up some mass movement uh, in a political sense. He came, as verse 3 says, he came, he, 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 uh, a bruised reed he will not break and a smoking flax he will not quench. He came as the one who was gentle uh, with sinners while he was on earth and still is. And I think uh, the different people interpret these verses different ways, but uh, I think the best interpretation is this. Uh, obviously, we know that in the Hebrew poetry, often there are two parallel clauses that mean the same thing, but they don't always mean exactly the same thing. And I think we can distinguish the bruised reed from the smoking flax uh, because we know what it's like to be both. Uh, the bruised reed, well, you think of a reed and, and you just give it a tap and it bruises and, and it's useless for anything then. It's sort of broken. And, and the natural thing would be to break it off. And we are bruised, aren't we? We are bruised by the sins of others. To greater or lesser extent, all through our lives and in different ways. We, like the Lord Jesus, not in the same way as he did exactly, but we have to endure the contradiction of sinners. We live in a sinful world and, and we interact with people and some would deliberately seek to do us harm. And there's all the trials of life Anyway, we're seeking to live for the Lord in a world which does not acknowledge him. Um, and we are constantly buffeted by other people's sins. And this is a, a great comfort, isn't it? That he is not going to say, well, I'm just going to snap you off. And then we are also those who are worn out. A smoking flax, here it is, the, 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 the flax is there and it's a wick and it doesn't burn brightly uh, but it, it, it burns and it gives some light but then it goes out for want of fuel. And you've just got something that's just going up to the ceiling, a little bit of smoke and, uh, and there's two things you can do. One is you can fan it up or the other is you can snuff it out. And it says of the Lord Jesus with us that he doesn't uh, quench us. And this is being worn out, isn't it, by sin, by our own sins. And our own failings and our own temptations and our own concerns. Uh, and we can feel we've failed the Lord and sometimes we have. Uh, and, and we're all different, aren't we? But in some, at bottom we're all the same. Uh, this is the sinful human condition and we feel useless for God and we seem perhaps even to other people to be useless for God. Say, so, let me stress again, I'm not talking about being worn out physically, which happens to us if we live long enough. I'm talking about spiritually. And the Lord Jesus, of course, has said, hasn't he, that he has promised that those who come, the one who comes to him, he will by no means cast out, that he will not say, put him on the scrap heap, put him on the scrap heap. And this is the Lord Jesus, and on the contrary, this is negative, isn't it, what he won't do. But if you go back into chapter 40 and verse 29, and you have, he gives power to the weak. Here is the positive. And to those who have no might, he increases strength. We are weak and battered, but he gives us power to live for him. Those who have no might, we are smoking flaxes, but he increases strength so that even the youths 
who may faint and be weary, and the young men utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles, run and not be weary, walk and not faint. Because, in verse 11 of that same chapter, he is the one who feeds his flock like a shepherd and gathers the lambs with his arm and carries them in his bosom and gently leads those who are with young. The whole emphasis here, and obviously the Gospels show it forth, but the whole emphasis of the prophecies is the one who comes is going to be meek and gentle with sinners, and who he is recovering, who, 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 know, that, who are, know their need, who are, who are saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus was very severe, wasn't he, with the self-righteous? But he was very gentle with, with those who confessed that they are sinners by word or by deed and just came to him. And he, people would, the self-righteous would condemn him, wouldn't he? He eats and drinks. He's a friend of sinners. Yes, exactly. And he still is a friend of sinners and a friend of those who feel they've had enough and, or those who have, feel they've failed. And, and we must never get to the point where we don't believe that. that. That's the point. And so he comes. He comes and it says he will bring forth justice for truth or righteousness. His faithfulness to God means he brings and he comes and deals justly uh, with men. It's really he'll bring forth right. You could translate it righteous, uh, righteousness in faithfulness. He, he is faithful to God and he, he does what is right. And of course he does what is right in, in dying on the cross the, for us. Because that was what God told, told him to do. And through that we have a righteousness which is not brought out in Isaiah. But it's brought out, isn't it, when the gospel is fully proclaimed. And in the end, of course, he will come in just judgment also. And that note is, is never far away in the prophets, is it? There is always the note of the Redeemer who is gentle and merciful and gracious to sinners. And there is also the note that in the end he comes and it is the wrath of the Lamb that falls on the enemies of God. And he will not fail nor be discouraged, verse 4, till he has established justice in the earth or righteousness in the earth and the coastland shall wait for his law. He doesn't faint because, as we've just read in Isaiah 40, uh, in Isaiah 40, he supremely is the one who waits upon the Lord and renews his strength. Uh, he's an example for us in that way. We find him, didn't we, constantly waiting on his father, constantly spending time in prayer. This is the son of God, but he's the son of man. He is showing his utter dependence on the Father for strength. He is the one who uh, didn't come into this world and sail through it, uh, sort of, you know, with, with the shine still on, uh, coming out the other end. Uh, oh, they couldn't touch me, I'm the Son of God. He was the one who was, who was bruised. He is the one who was crucified. He is the one who succeeded because he waited upon the Lord. And because he constantly waited upon the Lord, he did not fail. He, he did not fail to accomplish all that the Father sent him to do. He persevered in the work until the end and could say and cry, it is finished, until he brings justice both ways. 
All the ways in which God wants just righteousness for his people. Righteous judgment in the end. He He will bring it all about. And here it is, the result. This is Isaiah prophesying of it. And the coastlands, he'll bring justice in the earth and the coastlands will wait for his law. Result is distant lands will obey his instruction, including us. I'm going to say more about that when we get to verse 5 in a moment. About the, the coastlands and that word uh, and other words. But the point is, the work of the Lord Jesus, it says he, he will not fail and be discouraged. He, he's going to accomplish the Father's work. His work didn't finish, did it, when he died, unlike every other person who's ever lived. His work didn't, because he rose from the dead, but his work didn't even have finished, did it, when he, is, when he ascended. He is still the one who pours out his spirit in saving power, bringing the instruction of God to the nations, and he is still the one who uphold, who, who acts in upholding power, pouring out his Holy Spirit in upholding power for us. So that all the saving will of the Father in all nations is finally accomplished and not one of those the Father gave him is lost. I think it's such an important lesson, isn't it? We mustn't try. If we are bruised reeds, and we often are, we mustn't try to mend ourselves. If we are smoking flaxes, we mustn't try to stir ourselves up, fan our own flames. When we come in through the door here, rightly, uh, I think, we, we, I don't say we, we put on a face, but we, 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 to some extent, we come. And we don't show on the outside, perhaps the, the turmoils and the things that are going on, within us and if we looked into our we know what we're like but the tendency each one of us is to think well you know I look at myself and I'm full of all sorts of things that I don't want to be there but everybody else is doing pretty well and of course that's not true is it and if we looked on ourselves with God's eyes let's be honest we would we are a pretty sorry lot aren't we and I don't mean just this church you know say this in any gathering of Christians We're full of sins and failings and doubts. Uh, We're full of battles and struggles going on within us. We're full of contradictions. We're not the same one day as the next. We we need to be honest with each one of us needs to be honest with ourselves before the Lord. And what do we have to do? Well, we're told, not here, Pat, but throughout, aren't we, in the New Testament... We have to abide in him, we have to trust in him, we have to, as I said last week, uh, behold my servant who I uphold. And we have to be those who are beholding Christ and, and meditating upon him. And more, we have to be those who actively seek his help. <coughs> we're told, aren't we, to do so. Uh, we're told in more than one place, let me just give you one. In Hebrews 4 and verse 16, 15. 14, go back to 14. Seeing then we have a great high priest, we're going to sing of this in a little while. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. 
For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathise with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore, because that's who he is, come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy, mercy for our failings, and find grace to help in time of need, literally grace for timely help, grace when it's needed which is always, but different grace on different days for different problems. Mercy in our time of failure, grace to help in time of need, there's a hymn that says. That's what we're, we're, and God says, come and, and take it. Now, lest it be sound as if I'm sort of saying a bit of, like sort of let go and let God, that's not what I'm saying at all. Ephesians 6 and verse 10 tells us that we have to stand firm in the Lord and in the strength of his might. We are fighting a battle and many passages say that. We are fighting against our sins and our temptations and our weaknesses, but we have to fight in his strength. There's another hymn, isn't it? The arm of flesh will fail you. Dare not trust your own. There's a hymn in the book, I think it's in Christian hymns, in grace hymns as well, and I'm not sure I've ever had it sung in church um, but I'll, well, we'll come back to that one in a minute that's a different hymn sorry. the one I want to quote here is this the hymn is fight the good fight and what does it say the last two verses cast care aside lean on thy guide his boundless mercy will provide trust and thy trusting soul shall prove Christ is its life and Christ its love faint not nor fear his arms are near he changeth not and thou art dear, only believe, and thou shalt see that Christ is all in all to thee. John, James Monster got it right, didn't John Monster got it right? Because he says, this is who Christ is, and if you believe, you'll find it so. You'll find him so. We have to claim the promises, promises of Isaiah 40, waiting on the Lord, and our strength is renewed. That's what we, we have to expect. Or the promise that in Luke 11 and verse 13 uh, that he will give his Holy Spirit. God will give his Holy Spirit to those who ask him. His Holy Spirit to, to strengthen us and revive us and restore us. Him I was going to quote, uh, we, we now get to, you might not know these words, it's, but it, just listen to it. Lord Jesus, think on me and purge away my sin. From earth-born passions set me free and make me pure within. This is what we should be asking. Lord Jesus, think on me with care and woe oppressed. Let me thy loving servant be and taste thy promised rest. Lord Jesus, think on me amid the battle strife. In all my pain and misery be thou my health and life. Lord Jesus, think on me nor let me go astray. Through darkness and perplexity point thou the heavenly way. Lord Jesus, think on me when flows the tempest high, when on doth rush the enemy. O Saviour, be thou nigh. Lord Jesus, think on me that when the flood is past, I may the eternal brightness see and share thy joy at last. And that's written about 1600 years ago. It's one of the oldest hymns in the book. And it's exactly up to date because we are no different from Synesius of Cyrene who lived in the same sort of time as Augustine of Hippo the great theologian, probably knew him. And 
We just need to be those, aren't we, who are awaiting on the Lord for strength, always. I want to move on to verse 5, the servants commissioning. We want to do that because I want to get to the end of verse 9 by next week. Thus says the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread forth the earth and that which comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk on it. And then he gives in verses 6 and 7, he says what he's going to say. But I just want to look at verse 5. Because this is said by the God, the Lord, who created the heavens. This is the eternal creator, who stretched them out, has spread forth the earth and that which comes from it. But not only the creator, but the life giver, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk on it. So the Lord is reminding us here, as he goes on to commission the servant in, a, in a, another way, verses 6 and 7, in terms of what he he's being sent uh, to be, a covenant for the people. He is saying, remember, I am the Lord, the eternal creator and life giver over all the earth, which is the one I've made, and all the people to whom I give life. I'm not just a, a local God for Israel. And therefore, the implication, I can do all things for you. And they needed this reminder because they were a people, this was written for the people in Babylonian exile. And what is God saying? In these first three chapters of this part of Isaiah, 40 to 42, the word nations occurs five times. The word coastlands occurs four times. Uh, sorry, six times. Ends of the earth occurs three times. The emphasis all the way through here is whatever God is revealing, and it's glorious, it's going to be for everybody. It's going to be for the whole earth. It's not just going to be for Israel. Now, we have to understand this to, to gain the benefit. It's helpful, at least, to understand it from the perspective of Isaiah and those who heard these words and who believed them in Isaiah's day, but also after the people were in Babylon. If you go through the book of Isaiah, during the first 35 chapters, you have Isaiah's ministry in the days of kings of Judah, while Assyria was coming in from the north, and they captured, they conquered the northern kingdom, the ten tribes, and carried them off into Assyria. So you've got Israelites... In Judah, saying, well, there go ten of the twelve tribes and it's us next, isn't it? And during chapters 36 to 38, then you go on and you have them over the Assyrians overrunning Judah and they get to the point where they're surrounded Jerusalem and they're taunting the people on the wall and they're saying, if you could provide 2,000, we'll give you 2,000 horses if you've got 2,000 men to put on them. And they, they must have thought in the words of a, a, a famous phrase that comes down to us now, isn't it? We're doomed. And they were, except God, God the Lord, who is speaking here in verse 5, intervened and 185,000 of those to whom he had given life, he took it away in a night and they returned Sennacherib returned to his own country, a miraculous deliverance. But in chapter 39, 
Then after that, Hezekiah, who has been miraculously healed by God, when the envoys come from Babylon, shows them all his treasure, and Isaiah has to say, look, the days are coming, 39.6, when all that is in your house and what your fathers have accumulated until this day should be carried to Babylon, nothing shall be left. And the people too. And that happened. And having been delivered from the Assyrians, they're carried off into Babylon. And now they read these verses. And what do they say? And God is saying to these people who've had blow after blow and are sitting in another country without any human prospect of coming back, though God has promised they will come back. But he's saying, through Jeremiah and others, but he's saying, they're, they're looking. And God is saying to them, I'm going to send someone who's going to bring my rule right across the earth. And they're thinking, uh, well, just getting us back into the land would be pretty good. And they needed faith, didn't they? Faith in this God who created the heavens and who gives breath to the people on it. Only faith in God could, in this remnant, lead to them believing in the worldwide success of the Messiah. Only faith in the Creator who decides what happens in all lives, the sovereign owner and ruler of all. And we're in a a parallel situation in one way, aren't we? We always have to be careful drawing parallels from from Israel, God's people on earth, but uh, in one land. But there is a parallel, isn't there? We we are in a situation where Israel would have said, the glory days have gone. Here we are in exile in Babylon. We look around and we say the enemy has come in like a flood. Uh, morally in our country, but also in terms of uh, trying to destroy the spread of the gospel and, and make people believe it's not true. And, and we can easily sit here and we can forget what's going on in other parts of the world. We had Leon in the pulpit on Sunday reminding us that Europe is, is the least evangelised nation in the world, uh, continent in the world. We need to have faith that we, whatever is happening in our land, and we do not minimise how bad it is, we have to have faith in God's success in Christ. That he will see of the fruit of the travail of his soul and be satisfied. That, if we quote from Isaiah, that's Isaiah 53, if we quote, and I'll finish here in chapter 8, verse 16, where Isaiah is told, or says, bind up the testimony, seal the law among my disciples, and I will wait on the Lord who hides his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. Here am I and the children whose God the Lord has given them we. We are for signs and wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells in Mount Zion. We are the signs and wonders for our nation. The Lord Jesus is the saviour of whom we've been speaking. That God is fulfilling his saving purposes, saving sinners, forgiving them and reconciling them and making them his children. We are the evidence that God does what he says. And we must be that evidence and therefore we must keep trusting in him.